Hi, this is Deval Patrick, former governor of Massachusetts, and I've got a podcast. We call it Being American. In each episode, we talk about the major challenges that people and families and communities all over the country are facing that need real solutions and how a better understanding of our shared values and objectives can help us bridge the kinds of differences that keep us from those solutions. I interview political figures, elected officials, grassroots organizers, regular citizens, folks in and out of politics and civic life who are in search, like me, of common wisdom in these uncommon times. Join us and help bridge the divide. It's the Being American podcast, which you can subscribe to or download wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to For All, a podcast by ACLU of Mississippi, offering lessons and stories on how to advocate for all Mississippians. I'm your host, Candace Coleman. I am joined by Delana Tavakol, our smart justice advocate here at ACLU of Mississippi. Thank you for joining me, Delana. It's great to be here, Candace. So on this inaugural episode of For All, we are kicking off a series of conversations with immigrants fighting to overcome discrimination and empower their communities. This began with a campaign that Delana put together called Unalienable. And that campaign can be found on ACLUMS.org. But now let's get into today's conversation with Jamie, who Delana introduced me to. Yes, Jamie is a traveling nurse. She was born in Morelos, Mexico, but brought to the United States as a young child and has since become a DACA recipient. And for our listeners, Delana, can you tell us what DACA is? Yeah, sure. So DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and it's a federal program that was created by then-President Barack Obama in 2012. It allows undocumented Americans who were brought here at a young age to receive work permits, and it has been linked to higher wages and improved mental health outcomes for undocumented people, as well as a reduction in the number of households living in poverty in the U.S. Unfortunately, the status of the program has been extremely precarious since its creation. There have been constant battles within the federal government and courts, leaving DACA recipients and DACA hopefuls in extreme economic and personal insecurity which is what Jamie has been living with. So now let's get into the conversation with Jamie. Jamie, I want to say again, thank you so much for sharing with us. For starters, can you tell us about your background and what brought you here to Mississippi? So we're from Mexico. I was born in Mexico as well. Um, I was brought to the U.S. when I was seven. We were like two years in Texas and then came here to Mississippi. So I did all my elementary middle school and high school in Mississippi. So um, all my life is in Mississippi. (laughs) What city and what school did you first attend? Um, In Jackson. So I went to Span Elementary, then Chastain and Murrah High School. Oh, I'm a Murrah High School graduate. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And how has your parents' decision to bring you to the States affected your life and opportunities? So basically here, I feel that if you, I guess, work hard enough, you can at least make things of your own. Over there, um, I guess if you grow like in a 
low social class, you're basically staying there. There's no way for you to move up. Um, so if you grow poor, there's just, I mean, you pay for elementary school over there um, for books and everything. So it's just no way for like a poor family to get their school, their kids through school. I'd still live with them. Um, we're very close. Um, and so I would still be with them, but I decided to the travel nursing because it is my dream just to explore I guess if you have that limitation of always being in one place because your fear of immigration. So that's always been my dream, just to get to see places, meet different people. Your parents now, do they have legal status? No, they don't. There's no way for them to get legal status. We tried and there's just no way. So can you talk about what the struggle has been like trying to get them that legal status? Well, there's there's many. So one is obviously financial, um, it's, it's expensive. Then the others is just time. Um, it, it can take years and then maybe you won't even get it. Or also they'll require you to go back to Mexico um, and wait there. But um, I have younger siblings, so that's not an option. Um, so yeah, there's, it's just many roadblocks. And like I said, it's, not always um the chance that they will it's always maybe they won't maybe they will like get their get a legal status how does them not having that legal status impact everyday life for you all you have to be aware so like our church would do events at night you just have to be aware not to be driving too late um because if you get stopped by an officer um maybe just because of the way you look, you'll be targeted, right? And, and stopped and asked questions. So, yeah. Um, and when I was younger, I would always fear, like, what if they took my parents? Who would take care of us? Um, would I have to be responsible? Because, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm the oldest. I have um, younger siblings. So, yeah, it was always that fear of um, would we leave with them? Like, our whole life would change because said I grew up in Mississippi basically so that's all I knew so yeah it's it's just frightening just that your whole life can change in 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 one second yeah so um the youngest is 13 so he would be I guess the one main concern the other ones are older um older than 18 yeah we we talk about it and now I'm since I'm older they they tell me like well yeah you'll you'll take care of him and so because obviously we we don't want to go back to Mexico and for him to grow up here. Um, he was born here, so he'll have definitely more opportunity opportunities than than I did. And when the Trump administration took office, did that increase that fear? A little bit. I think um, the main issue was just being, I guess, um, I, I guess for like all the racism, um, it kind of. Um, everything sparked a little bit more. Um, and yeah, I guess you just had to be full aware of your surroundings or you know, we talked in Spanish just to make sure no one got offended that we were talking just between us and, you know, how in the um, language that we're comfortable in. Like I said, I mean, we speak Spanish just because that's our first language, we're just comfortable in it. Um 
So we don't, we don't, sometimes we don't think about it and we just start talking Spanish, but then people just, I guess they get offended because it's, you're supposed to talk English or maybe you're talking about me, but yeah, people will look at you funny for it. <laughs> Delana, I want to pause right here and talk about the fear that Jamie mentioned in this campaign, Unalienable, you spoke to some other children of undocumented immigrants who gave this same type of testimony in this campaign. What do they have to share about the impact of local police working with ICE? Yeah, so so that's correct. During the process of putting together this immigrants' rights campaign, we spoke with a lot of individuals who are children of undocumented immigrants, um, and some of whom are undocumented themselves today. And all of them mentioned a fear of going to school or church or the hospital even, and that's either a fear that they feel for themselves or their parents, or their siblings. Many of them mentioned a fear when they were growing up, or particularly young, of going to school and coming home to not find their parents. A fear of their parents being pulled over by police while they were driving to work and potentially being deported in the process. We know that this is something that does happen. We also know that this fear has been augmented since the 2019 ICE raids, And we know that there are people who are so traumatized by this. And even two years after those raids, we still hear people who are talking about the fear that they live with in their daily lives as a result of the cooperation between local law enforcement and federal immigration enforcement. Thanks, Delana. Okay, back to the interview with Jamie. Jamie, can you tell us about the process you went through in order to become a DACA recipient and how it has helped you in your profession as a traveling nurse? Um, So it has definitely opened a lot of doors, just having DACA. Um, I've had it for eight years now, basically since it was implemented in 2012. So I've had DACA since then, and it has opened many doors. I mean, my dream has always been, you know, go to school. Um, I'm a first college graduate in my family. so. That was very important to me. Um, And just having DACA open that door because um, without that, I wouldn't have been able to go to school. Um, Yeah, it has helped me, but it also is just, it's not permanent. So there's always that fear that it might end. And then like, I mean, I'll just stop being a nurse because obviously you can't work as a nurse without it. So It has opened many doors, but at the same time, you always live with that fear of that when it might end. So have you ever worried about what you would do if you were to lose your DACA status? I mean, technically, I guess like I would, like I said, basically I would lose my career. Like I'm, so I've been a nurse for four years now. Um, Like all that experience would just fall through um, because I wouldn't. So with DACA, you get a, a work permit. So I wouldn't be able to work. Um, I really haven't thought what will be the fallback plan. I don't know. I'm just kind of hoping for the best. Um, But yeah, I mean, everything will fall through. I would just basically have to start over. All right, Delana, I want to pause right here again. Jamie is talking about the possibility of losing her DACA status. How would she even lose her DACA status? So DACA has been a particularly precarious federal program from the start. There have been many years of uncertainty about the status of this program, especially in recent years. However, 
And in the beginning of this year, so January of 2021, President Biden officially reinstated the program and started accepting new applications. But to highlight exactly how precarious the program has been, only a few months after that decision, so in July of this year, a federal judge in Texas ruled the program illegal and barred all new applications. Existing recipients of DACA have not had their statuses pulled. However, the animus towards this program in our government and in courts is very clear. And so people who have received DACA, while very fortunate, do continue to live under the risk that at any point a judgment like that, that puts a moratorium on new applications, might go even further and pull the status that so many have fought so hard to achieve already. Mm, Thank you for that, Delana. All right, back to Jamie. Since we're talking about your profession in healthcare, when it comes to your parents and how they interacted with the, the healthcare system, do your parents fear going to the hospital because of their legal status? To a certain extent, they won't go for unless it's super serious, like it's a life or death kind of thing. But yeah, just just because um, there is a lot of health disparity with minor, with like minor communities, especially with immigrants. So mm-hmm. yeah, unless it was life or death day. And actually that's one of the reasons why um, I became a nurse. Uh, when my brother was little, when he was born, he, he got many infections. We never found out why, but we were often in the hospital and I would always have to go to interpret um, just because like medical terminology is not the best, but I guess it was better for, for me to understand them for my mom. So I noticed that, that um, how like healthcare workers struggled or maybe did not pay enough attention to people who spoke a different language. So yeah, I've noticed, noticed that a lot while while working and I try to be since I do speak Spanish or even with different um, races just since I I was in that position with my family I try to calm the nerves or just explain more detailed than you would for a person who's maybe more comfortable with the health care system here. And what do you think needs to be done to make health care better for immigrant communities? Um, So just educating them what's their rights um, like you can't go to the hospital. It is safe to go. Um, you shouldn't fear. Um, you know, you will be taken care of. And then the other thing is uh, acceptance. So now that I'm traveling, I see how different Mississippi is from a lot of other states. And I feel that I guess Mississippi hasn't been exposed to different races. And that's why maybe they're not acceptance of different cultures. So just everyone accepting people for who they are and like how they grew up. And and what about other barriers? What other barriers do you think need to be addressed for undocumented immigrants to thrive? In-state tuition, which I, I don't think many people are aware of that. Uh, we were fighting for in-state tuition for just any um, any high school graduate in Mississippi. So if you were if you graduated from a high school in Mississippi, you would get in-state tuition. Uh, for college because um so that was something I had struggled with as well and like I said people don't know but so like in my case I was being charged international fees um just because of my immigration status um so I think that would make it 
you know, difficult for people who've done their whole education in Mississippi to still be charged triple the amount just to go to college in the state that you grew up in. Just, um, I think it just makes sense to me for that to be done, but the bill didn't pass. So I think there's still a lot of work to be done. <laughs> and speaking of access to education, Delana, this isn't the first case of a young person needing to leave the state because of their immigration status. Right. So Paula is a Mississippi College graduate who shared her story with us for our immigrants' rights campaign. She talked about wanting to attend the University of Mississippi Medical Center for medical school but being ineligible because she is not a permanent resident or citizen, which is listed as an eligibility requirement in order to attend that school. So how do we show up for each other? That's the question we will try to answer each episode. And today, there's a very simple way that you can show up for undocumented immigrants. And that means accepting people of all cultures and all races. Thank you, Delana, and thank you, Jamie, for being a part of this episode. For more information on the Unalienable Campaign, visit ACLUMS.org. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at ACLU underscore MS and on Facebook at ACLU of Mississippi. And be an advocate for all. <music>